Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Ekstrin, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt. And I am in the podcast room today with our senior pastor, Carl Leyenbauer. Hi, Rick. And I am not here with Angela Axtman because she's not going to be with us this week or next week. Um, She's out of the area, but she will be back. But today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 7, picking up where we left off. We are we're finding ourselves in at verse 18, where we're going to encounter um, another event surrounding John the Baptist and Jesus and John the Baptist. Yeah. So, Pastor Carl, why don't you introduce us? Yeah, we're coming out of a couple of miracle stories and seeing Jesus doing some pretty remarkable things. And uh, the last we heard of uh, John the Baptist, it was Herod had locked him up. I think that was way back in chapter 3 or so. Um, Now, all of a sudden, John the Baptist uh, reappears on the scene here, sending some messengers, and we don't get any explanation of why John's not coming himself, but presumably because he's still in prison. So we'll pick up here with verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Okay, this is a challenging stretch of Scripture. At least it is for me. We're going to get into some rather interesting 
questions and um, situations. And so we'll start off by pointing out, as you did in the very beginning of verse 18, John is most likely in prison at this point because of what he had said about Herod and Herod's um, not God-pleasing marriage to Herodias. took his brother's wife. Yes, right. And it it almost seems like at first glance that John is getting a little squishy about Jesus's mission and his ministry and his timing on things. And so he's, he sends two disciples to question Jesus. Are you the one or should we wait for another? And I just can't help but wonder if, uh, as we think back to what Jesus had said when he was in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and he alludes to it actually in his answer to the to John to mm-hmm. the questions that his disciples bring about good news is being preached to the poor, mm-hmm. you know, the sick and the lame, and all of the healings are occurring. I can't help but wonder if John is a little frustrated by the fact that the 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 verses that come after those in Isaiah sixty one are not happening about releasing the captives. And hmm. because here is John in captivity, sure. and maybe he's maybe that was even why <clears throat> he was a little more bold and brash, figuring I'm going to be Teflon here because <laughs> whatever happens to me, Jesus is going to undo. Hmm. I don't know, speculation on my part. But yeah, what are your thoughts? I, on it's that? an interesting way to think about John. I mean, because so John has he behaves with no fear, right? That's what Jesus is pointing out. He's not he's not like Herod, who's blown this way and that way by the wind. He's not a reed swayed by the wind. Right. He, he doesn't care what people think. He's going to say what is true and what is right, and he's going to be faithful to that. And that's why people went out into the wilderness to see him, because he, he lived so differently. Mm-hmm. It had never occurred to me that he would be doing so, because he assumes that his cousin is coming along right behind <laughs> him to go and set him free if anything bad happens. And I, I, don't, I don't know if he had an expectation like that or not. I don't know. It's. I, I do think, though, that John's doubts here are, uh, these are the kind of doubts that we have when things go badly in our lives. It's, God, where are you? Are you really here? Do you really care? And here's John. He's in prison. Jesus is out there doing wonderful things for other people, and John's hearing about this. Right. And yet he, here he is languishing in prison, and so uh, it is a natural time to have some doubts. And so he sends some messengers and checks in with Jesus. <laughs> Did I get all this wrong? Well, and it's a fascinating question because what do we know about John? We know that even before he was born, he leapt, you know, in his mother's womb at the at the hearing of, of Jesus's impending birth. Mm-hmm. Could it be that he, along with so many other Jews of his time, misinterpreted what the Messiah would in fact do? Yeah in bringing an end to Roman tyranny and reestablishing Israel as the great kingdom that it once was under David. Yeah. Which, I mean, those are those are valid expectations. They're just too small. Yeah. That Jesus is going to do greater than that, and he's going to take longer doing it. Right. And that's, and that's, it's a timeline more than anything. I'm sure that John had an appreciation for, He's the, John, John says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He has this understanding of, of Isaiah as he's quoting from Isaiah. So he understands Jesus is going to be coming, setting captives free, and and bringing this, the presence of God, the good news of the kingdom of God into this world. But 
he probably does expect things to progress more quickly. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, even if you, even if you know it's coming, suffering is hard. Yeah. It, it, it challenges faith. And, when, it, and for that reason, it also strengthens faith. Yeah. When, uh, when Jesus is, is explaining to John's disciples what they're seeing, you know, he's basically, I think, giving him an answer in code, mm. perhaps, Answering his question in the affirmative, are you the one that we're waiting for or is, or is there another? Which, by the way, is a question for all ages, right? I mean, every person of every generation has always asked a, a similar question about Jesus. Is he really who he, who we're told he is? Mm-hmm. And in John's way of asking it is, or sh- should we wait for another? Jesus is pointing him back to Isaiah 61 mm-hmm. and saying, these verses are... They do apply to me. So yes, I am the one. But I think he he stops short of just coming out and saying it, probably because he does not want to arouse that level of opposition that he knows knows is coming, but needs to come at a certain time and in a certain pace. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I fully can guess why Jesus... Veils his answer a little bit, doesn't isn't more direct. Yeah, uh, but that's it's pretty common. He's he's always kind of keeping his full identity. Um, yeah, he keeps he keeps it below the level of confrontation, like you're saying. The phrase I read and I saw over and over again in some of the commentaries on this is that the the kingdom of God is now and not yet. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of alluded to that in your explanation that. He is, Jesus at this point certainly has fulfilled a lot of the prophecies of Isaiah 61, mm-hmm. but not all of them. It's very localized. And yeah, he, yeah. even here we are today in the 21st century, and it's still not all of them. You know, the final enemy to be conquered is death itself. Right. And so when, we, when that happens, when Jesus does return, then the kingdom of God will come in its totality. Right. And, and until then, we're still in the now and not yet. Yeah, I mean, you bring that up, and the the miracle right before this is the raising of a dead man. Right. And so, and John hears about that. That's what triggers this this interaction. Is the disciples of John are reporting these things to him, and so in John's mind, this maybe this is like this is it. This is it's time, and yet nothing's happening for him. Yeah. And so that raises a question. And when I think about the kingdom of God and the presence of Jesus, the kingdom of God means the reign of God, God being obeyed, mm-hmm. right? And so where Jesus is, God is obeyed to the extent that demons have to flee, that sicknesses have to be cured, that the dead rise where Jesus calls it out. But it's it's right where Jesus is when Jesus is. Yeah. And the day is coming when it will not just be localized. It won't just be a moment It'll be the reality for all people in the new heavens and new earth at the resurrection. And and so when the prophets, including John the Baptist, are are looking ahead to this, I don't know that they can see the, you know, the, the incremental way in which the kingdom of God comes with Jesus bringing it in part and then the fullness of it oh, later right. on. Yeah. They, they, how could they anticipate that? Yeah. They prophesy this fullness that, in Isaiah, it gets all the way to the new heavens and new earth, but that's not what John is seeing, and so it creates a tension. Right, and it, it what your explanation there reminded me of is a phrase, and I I can't even point to book, chapter, or verse, but I know the verse. It is no eye has seen and no ear has heard, 
nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And to that, that to me means the kingdom of God is going to be so much more beyond what you think it is Mm -hmm. and can understand it to be at this point. And so we just have to wait in that same anticipation that John and all of the prophets that came before him had to wait. Yeah. In that eager expectation. Right. But Jesus is, is, is saying... And yet at the same time, it's here. And that's yeah. the now and not yet yeah. phrase that you're using because where Jesus is. I mean, at that very moment, it points out, right as they ask this question, then Jesus starts to do all these remarkable things and healing people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and bestowing sight on the blind. <laughs> because because right, it's there. It's right there. Yeah. It's fully there. Yeah. And that's that's part of um, when we to get a little bit deeper into this text where, where Jesus is going to say that... Among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Well, here you and I sit, we're in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And and because of that, there's no telling sort of when and where the kingdom of God, the reign of God is going to break into this world. What prayer you might pray that God answers that does some remarkable thing that John the Baptist couldn't do. You know, that, that, that sort of reality, because uh, it's the kingdom of God is, is present. It's here. It's now and it's not yet. You you brought up a verse, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but where Jesus is talking about John, and he says, no one born of a woman is greater than he. So he gives him a very high praise statement. But then he also said that whoever is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like Jesus is talking out of both sides of his mouth. Mm-hmm. He says John's the greatest. He says John's the least. Mm-hmm. And it makes me <clears throat> think there's really only one person who is who embodies both of those aspects, and it's Jesus Himself. Who else, who could be less than Jesus was? You know, when you think about He emptied Himself mm. and took on the form of a servant and became humble unto death. You know, so Jesus is that living example of the least. He became the least. Mm for us mm. but he's clearly also the greatest mm-hmm. and i don't know maybe that's a misapplication of that verse but it's where my mind went when i'm yeah it's that. kind of a different way to think about mm-hmm. it just that that seeing least here as as a compliment in yeah a way. It's yeah being willing to yeah. to uh, become nothing mm-hmm. but i think here where jesus is talking about john greatest is a good thing john is the greatest uh, among those born of women because uh, he's not, he is, he's a prophet like so many others before him, but he's also more than a prophet. He's the one who is that, that prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. And so role of incredible honor, if not uh, <laughs> comfort and pleasure, yeah. <laughs> but, but honor and uh, for, for John to be who he is. Uh, but when Jesus says that the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, uh, that's, that's because at Pentecost, God's spirit is going to come and dwell in in human beings, and the kingdom of God is going to come. It's at hand. And so that's talking about... So that's where he can you. say, we're going to be, we're, we're greater yeah. than those who came before us because right. of Pentecost. Exactly. Yeah. Not It's not, certainly not me and my human flesh, and mm-hmm. nothing compared to somebody who would, right. who would hold the line like John, right. uh, you know, against the kings and the authorities. And, but... In the presence of the Spirit of God, adopted as a child of God through the sacrifice of Jesus, that's remarkably greater. It's it's infinitely greater because yeah. it's divine. Can we go to verse twenty three? 
you know, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on a common mm, Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is John stumbling here? I don't think so. Uh, I, I Certainly not fully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the... the um, ESV has blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I don't like okay, that offended. translation much at all. Yeah. It's more of the stumbling block kind mm-hmm. of language. Yeah. That's really what the, the word there is about. Uh, and so uh, it's whatever, you know, what you trip over in your relationship oh, yeah. with God. That we can relate to, can't and, we? Absolutely. Yeah. And and John is tripping, right? He's tripping right. over his circumstances and how hard things are and that this is not the way he expected it to be. And and that expectation of like God is supposed to behave this way and he's mm-hmm. behaving that way, we trip over that. <laughs> we sure do. A lot. And yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a very common experience, especially during hardship, that feel to just sort of instinctively, deeply feel like God is supposed to be better to me than this. Yeah. And uh, and he doesn't owe us anything. Mm-hmm. So we're wrong. We're stumbling. But that I think that's one of the ways in which people get offended or end up stumbling yeah. over the reality of who Jesus is. Yeah, it, if if John is guilty of anything, it would seem to be that he he needs some sort of a demonstration beyond what Jesus has already given <clears throat> of his messianic qualities. Yeah. And I think that's something that mankind for all ge- generations has been guilty of, believing that if only Jesus would do this, physically show up or I'm something sure. like that, and answer this prayer. Then I'll believe, mm-hmm. and of course it's a false hope because that confidence or that faith is very short, short-lived before the next trial or test is going to right. come when you're going to demand more. Right. It's like in Jesus's parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Well, if a man should rise from the dead, then you know they would believe. Jesus says, even if that, they won't believe. Right. Moses and the prophets. That's what we have to hang on to to yeah. give us our hope. Yeah, and that underscores something that that we can talk about in other passages of Scripture too, but that faith is not some sort of rational, I calculated, I figured it out, and now I believe it. It is this work of God inside of you. and Which is, there's a whole bunch of ways in which Jesus can become a stumbling block, because whether it's, it's, I would call it the theology of the cross, that's the theological term for that, where that God takes the one that he loves the most— I shouldn't say loves the most. He's he's God, but he takes the one that he loves in Jesus and gives him a cross instead of giving him prosperity and glory and of this wonderful, comfortable life. And that's what Jesus calls us to too. The theology of the cross here for John is a stumbling block. Mm-hmm. This, this we call it the scandal of particularity. People stumble over the fact that God that some are saved and others are not, right. and that becomes really offensive and hard to to wrap your mind around the way that God is actually working, and lot, lots of other ways that. Just the way that God has saved us becomes offensive to people and becomes a stumbling block. And that's why I think this is a really broad statement. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me because the actual way that God actually saved the human race is not according to any script that we would ever have drawn up. It's it's what God did. And our job is kind of like Job to repent in dust and ashes and receive that. There's a... Luke goes in in verse 29 uh, and verses following where he says, all the, I'm reading from the NIV, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves 
because they had not been baptized by John. And I find that last phrase very instructive because it's like Pharisees always got to be Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And they, they, their hearts were hardened even to John's message of repentance. John, who's making no messianic claims himself, mm-hmm. he's not saying anything offensive. He's, all he's saying is you're a sinful person and you need to come clean before God. And they couldn't even accept that, right. which really comes, cuts to the heart of what the problem is of Pharisee type people. It's that they're not their heart is not in the posture that it needs to be, which is to be broken before God and saying, you know, I have nothing. I, I bring nothing to this equation. I am, yeah, poor, the, miserable sinner. The human condition. I mean, by nature, apart from God, we just want to justify ourselves. Right. And so as a result of that just deep need to justify ourselves, we'll, we'll come to this ridiculous conclusion that I don't need forgiveness. I don't need God's mercy. I should have uh, paradise by right or something like that. I should be saved by right. And um, the Pharisees are, are falling into that trap, whereas the tax collectors are ready to repent and and they were able to see their own sin. And that, that's something we'll come up more into as we get into the next couple of chapters. Here. Right. And it's like uh, what we're seeing here, thank you for pointing that out, because if as Jesus is reminding us, John is in the last of a long line of prophets. Mm-hmm. All of the prophets that preceded him in the Old Testament were preaching God's words and they were being rejected time and again, mm-hmm. like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, like Amos, all of them. And John, John's message is being rejected. But there's always that remnant that permeated all of Old Testament Israel. There's a, uh, that group of people that in God said to Elijah, 7,000 have never bent the knee to Baal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and today, and I mean in this text, in Luke 7, who's that remnant? It's the tax collectors and sinners. Mm. The most counterintuitive group of people that you would think would be responding to the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody looking at this would say, well, of course it's going to be the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The, they know God's word best. They'll immediately understand what John is saying and respond. Right. And they don't. And they don't. Yeah. Yep. Which is, it's very telling. One of the risks of of being a professional church worker or just, so, you know, sort of <laughs> yeah. sort of being deeply religious. You don't think I think about this? <laughs> it, is, it, is, it, it is. I mean, because yeah. because the... The uh, the attribute that lays the groundwork for a right relationship with God is, is humility. It's contrition and repentance. Mm-hmm. And so, the better you think you're doing, the more danger you're in, so yeah. to speak. And uh, that's that's what is being displayed here. And that's it, so important for us to take to heart too, to yeah. recognize that spiritual growth is always growth in seeing my own sin mm-hmm. and repenting of it and receiving forgiveness and living in grace. You know, as we were already kind of on the last portion of our time together in this podcast, but there's a section here at, at the end of our reading that I, I don't want to miss. And Jesus gets a little ironic here when he's talking to the, the Pharisees who are ridiculing him and comparing him to John. And so in verse 31, he says, what can I compare this this people of this generation, what are they like? They're the, like, so help me understand this, Pastor. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, 
We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. And then he compares the criticism mm-hmm. that John the Baptist received for n- not eating or drinking, not eating bread or drinking wine. And they say he has a demon. Son of man yeah. comes eating and drinking. And they say, you're a drunkard. Yeah. So this is, Jesus is saying, you're not pleased no matter what. Right. You've got both ends of the spectrum here. you got John the Baptist who was, as he, he lived a very austere life, dressed in camel's hair and yeah. ate locusts and wild honey. And he he didn't come feasting and and being with people. And you don't like it. You say he's a demon possessed. And then and then here I come and I'm I'm eating and I'm drinking and you call me a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so you can't be pleased either way. <laughs> and that's and that's Jesus' criticism of them is that um, they're not they're not willing to to it's that it's that need to be justified, right? To to be justified in myself. They want to justify their opinion of John. They want to justify their opinion of Jesus. They're not willing to to uh, hear either one of them, even though they came in opposite ways. And um, I, you know, what had just happened previously was the raising of the young man mm-hmm. in Nain, and in one of the commentaries I read, protocol would have been at that time. If you come across a funeral procession to join in and become mm. part of the procession, Jesus and his disciples do not join the procession. He mm. he ends the procession, mm. ends the funeral mm-hmm. by raising the young man. And it's it's interesting because he actually alludes to what the expectations are. You sing a dirge and you didn't cry. Mm-hmm. He, he brought crying to an end in that funeral. <laughs> and so that's how I would read this, that you're right, that, that they're... Their expectations of Jesus are, you're not doing things the way we want you to. Mm-hmm. You're not following standard operating procedure here. So, and no matter what he does, right. there's going to be criticism. Yeah. Whatever John did, there was criticism. Whatever Jesus does, right. which is the so this is this is the where this is backwards. It's the we have our way of doing it, and you need to conform. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that to God. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of saying, God has a way of doing things and I need to conform. And when, and that goes back to that that humility. That's why humility is the the foundation of a right relationship with God. It's that recognition that I have I bring nothing to the table. I can only be a recipient. And so God, thy will be done. And and that's and that's probably where we wanna tie this back together with that heart of a shepherd concept. And as I seek to to live in a right relationship with God and raise kids who are living in a right relationship with God, this is the cardinal virtue. It's humility. It's not necessarily right behavior that is the the first target. The first goal is a humble heart, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you do not despise. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what we see being missed here at the end of this passage and what we want to be pursuing. Seems like that would be an appropriate place for us to leave it. Uh, when we consider the encouragement we receive from God's word as shepherds in our households as to approach this with that heart of humility, that that posture that Jesus seeks Mm -hmm. all of us to have, which is to come with nothing in our hand, just uh, that brokenness that created me a clean heart, O God, posture. Mm -hmm. That we see in Psalm 51. I want to. I'm going to throw one more thing in there right too. Ahead. Just going back to John the Baptist, 
and his his doubts. And that is that's another just this is reality. We're gonna have our doubts and we're gonna have our struggles. And that does not by any means disqualify you from being someone that God uses greatest among those mm-hmm. born of women is John the Baptist. Right. And so so if he can have some doubts, uh, you don't have to beat yourself up over having some questions and some doubts. And John does the right thing. He sends his questions to Jesus. Yep. And we get to do the same thing. Great point and a great way for us to draw this podcast to a close. And so I want to thank you all for joining us. We look forward to seeing you back here again next time in the podcast room. Until then, I bid you all a a farewell and welcome come back again next time in the heart of a shepherd podcast